This week, we discuss how Tennessee law now protects your children from the CDC's recent vote to make the COVID mRNA jab part of childhood immunizations. We go back into the China cabinet to expose how the Biden administration's push for electric vehicles exploits children working in cobalt mines at the behest of the Chinese battery manufacturers. And we celebrate another fantastic achievement by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. My name is Kevin Kukaji, and with my good friend Gary Humble, this is the Freedom Matters Podcast. Gary, quiz question, pop quiz. Oh boy. Do you know how long it took to build the Empire State Building? Ooh. Uh, I'm going to guess, because I have no idea, but... I'm going to guess Empire State Building. Five years. All right. Not five years. Okay. So what I'm going to tell you is going to blow you away. Okay. It took one year and 45 days. Wow. One year and 45 days. Now, what year was that? 1930 to 1931. They built two and a half floors a month. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, two and a half floors a week. Yeah, that has to be two and a half floors because it's over 100 floors. Yeah. Now, why do I mention the Empire State Building to start off our Tennessee stands? Do you, here's another quiz. <laughs> do you know why I'm okay. talking about the Empire State no, Building? I don't, I'm, so I'm failing this miserably. Okay, good, because I wanted your natural reaction. <laughs> because Hopefully, like the rest of the audience, I hope no one else, everybody else doesn't know this. Yes, and I'm hopefully, just... hopefully we're baiting them and they're like, what is he talking about? Are you familiar with... Hurricane Ian, right? It was Ian yeah, in Florida, right, right? Just recently in Florida. September 28th. Yeah. And what did Hurricane Ian do to Florida? But it wiped out, especially the southwestern part yeah, of Florida. Yeah, I mean, major devastation. Sanibel Island took the brunt of it. And Sanibel has been near and dear to my heart and to my family's because we, we spent many spring breaks down there. I used to go there as a child with my parents. And um, there's a causeway. Uh, in fact, a brand new causeway that brand new, probably built 20 years ago now, used to be an old two-lane causeway, it made traffic take forever. Then they built this grand big causeway, so they it went high enough so they didn't have to open the drawbridge to let the boats and stuff go under. Well, that causeway was significantly damaged. Like, it was impassable um, after the hurricane went mm. through. The hurricane went through on September 28th, and yesterday, just three weeks after the hurricane went through, Ron DeSantis is sitting there in a press conference saying, we've completely reopened the Sanibel Causeway. Wow. Proving what Ronald Reagan always said, it can be done. When well, I, now, let me put it in le- context leadership. one more time. Yeah. So if the Empire State Building can be built in one year and 45 days with 100-year-old technology, right. right, what does it tell you about these road projects that seem to take forever? Do you know what they do? So when I lived in Philadelphia, my wife and I, um, that's where I met my wife back in the 80s. There was an old road called, that they referred to as the Blue Route. Another quiz. Do you know why they called it the Blue Route? I, I don't, Kevin. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I guess that I'm not going to have the answer to any of these questions. So on the map, of course, they didn't have digital maps then, right? It was the old pull out your Rand McNally paper n- n- maps. There was construction. 676 was the highway construction around the outside of Philadelphia, and the construction was per- became so permanent, it took like 30 years for them to finish 
on a map, which had been an inch-long piece, probably was 30 miles long. Yeah. And it was called the Blue Route because it was always a temporary blue line on the map because it wasn't mm-hmm. finished. That project went on until there was a new project. And then, magically, they finished it all up so they go start another project, right? PennDOT, which is the same as TN dot here in Tennessee, except in Pennsylvania, dragged out that project because to them it was just a job. And so they didn't they didn't have any desire to finish it for the betterment of Philadelphia or the state of Pennsylvania. It was just a job for the union. And as soon as they got another gig, miraculously, they were able to work really quickly and finish it within six months. So what leadership? If Ron DeSantis would have been the governor of Louisiana in 2005, we would, Katrina. Not, we would yeah. not be hearing about Katrina as a disaster. It's true. You know, I'm originally from Louisiana. That's my home. And, and I got to tell you, but it's just so dev- still to this day. I, I will tell you, when I go home and visit my parents in South Louisiana, and I'm driving down um, I-10, and there's a stretch between, uh, I believe it's between Hammond, Louisiana, and Baton Rouge. There's a stretch uh, of I-12 that runs sort of north of New Orleans. And you can still, there are fields that you can see from the interstate full of like all the old FEMA trailers and all that sort of stuff. I mean, like thousands of FEMA just stacked up uh, upon rotting, you know, out there in fields. It's just, it's amazing how much the area still has not recovered from, I mean, 2005, man. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going on almost 20 years. Yeah. And, uh, well, that, that road project, that bridge makes me also think of, so what, what did it take them? Three weeks? Three weeks. <laughs> so I'm thinking about, I don't know all the details, but isn't there? A, there's a bridge in uh, Memphis that goes that connects Tennessee to Arkansas. It goes over the Mississippi right. River, I believe. Is you that, mean the main that? one, the one that you always is, is it the when you're on I forty? Yeah, yeah, it's Mississippi. Well, and so it's been closed, right, or whatever. There's a there's a major repair that needs that needs to happen. Of course, it was going to take you know forever, and you know because it's so much money was needed to do it, whatever. And that project was part of the impetus of why they were structuring this legislation that would have created this super region. Remember the super region? Oh, yeah. Where we almost passed a law that allowed an unelected board comprised of Arkansas, Mississippi, and Tennessee to create a super region that could now get federal and foreign aid and funding without the actions of any state legislators. I mean, it was just That's a right. whole. What what did happen to that? It got it was killed. Oh, good. Yeah. So wow, one of the few things good to come out of the legislature. Well, yeah, the, something they didn't do. Yeah, it was incredible the the people that were for it. But so but, how does it relate to the bridge? Well, because if I remember right, the the impetus of why we needed the super region was so that we could get all of these federal grants and all of this funding. To complete the bridge, mm. you know, yeah, it was it was like a carrot. Like, <laughs> boy, if we could just if we could just create this unlawful, unconstitutional super region, then we could get the money necessary to yeah. complete the bridge. It's just like all the building projects, right? Roads and bridges are always the excuse, and so they let them fall. They they become dilapidated just so they can say, see, if you put me in office, your bridges and roads will be fixed. That's right. Never happens. Then two years later, if you put me in office, your bridges and roads will be fixed. How about, well, you're already taking my money. I'm paying taxes. Fix the bridge. Exactly. So, um, Gary, you wrote a great letter probably yesterday, right? Because I think the vote no, has already happened. Or no, it's today. No, the, today. no there, there was a vote yesterday, but there's a vote today. A second vote. Okay, so let's talk about the CDC. 
And uh, what they refer to as a vax, which we don't refer to as that because we're giving into their argument. We know it's an mRNA experimental gene therapy. Yeah, I call it the shot. But um, <laughs> Gary, why don't you tell us about how that relates? I'm sure everybody's aware of what's been going on. Of course, by the time this airs, it, the vote will have happened, but how it relates specifically to children in Tennessee. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of confusion. Uh, and, and honestly, some of the confusion is being caused by national media. Uh, in fact, I know there was a clip on uh, Tucker Carlson last night where he mentioned the CDC vote, and he mentioned several states whose state statute requires that the childhood vaccination schedule follows CDC guidelines. And one of the states he mentioned, which is true, is Tennessee. But the way they're framing it is that this CDC vote is going to force the COVID vaccine on kids in Tennessee. And that that's the interpretation of what's being said. And so right off the bat, it's important for everyone in Tennessee to know that's emphatically false. Again, I put a video out on Instagram, which I think as of this morning still has, it's got over 43,000 views, which is crazy. But you know, that's one thing we can. Kevin, we don't get to applaud a lot here around Tennessee stands of, of having won something. We, wait, wait. We, <clears throat> we did applaud, and we do applaud so far the attorney general. Yes. No, no, absolutely. Well, I'm saying, too— and, and but, right, legislation-wise. Yeah, things that we actually won, right? Well, we this is a win. Last year, um, we passed two bills. In fact, in the spring— we passed uh, SB 187, sponsored by Senator Janice Bowling and uh, Representative Bud Halsey, which was the first law that went into effect that restricted the state and any state agency from mandating a shot for COVID. Well, that was followed up by the COVID protection bill, the omnibus bill, in October of 2021. And then that was followed up by another amendment by Janice Bowling this last session this year which makes that part of the omnibus bill permanent. So the permanent law currently in Tennessee, the state, any state agency, a county, the Tennessee Department of Health, a board of health, uh, a school board, there is no state agency now that has any lawful authority to mandate a shot specifically for COVID. So regardless of whether or not the CDC adds this to their, you know, recommended schedule for childhood vaccines, regardless of, of any three-digit agency's guidelines. It is illegal in the state of Tennessee for any public agency to require a shot for COVID, to require a business to require the shot, or to require a school district to require. So I, I just, everyone in Tennessee needs to rest easy on that point. The mandate is not coming down to Tennessee. So... If someone says, Gary, but, and if they know their titles, I only know this because I have it in front of me, Section 37 or Title 37, Section 10, 401 mm -hmm. says it's the responsibility of parents to have children immunized, and then they include this mm -hmm. COVID jab as part of that. C explain to our audience why that provision of the law is superseded or override, overridden by the new what, SB 187, well, you said? Well, it's it's actually the, the, the new, new laws, laws. It's Title 14, 14-2-101. So it says the state cannot make these mandates. But also, thanks for bringing that up. And, we you know, we wrote an open letter to the governor that we'll talk about um, here in a minute because there is a caveat we need to um, uh, address. 
But yes, so Title 37 does put the responsibility on parents to vaccinate their children according to CDC guidelines. Uh, The reason that that's not going to be a mandate is because, number one, of Title 14, Title 14 would preclude this section of code. Uh, No shot for COVID can be added to the schedule. So that's number one. Number two is that Part 402 of this same law allows parents to have a religious exemption. And uh, also Part 403 says that while these are requirements of the state, parents face no civil or legal liability for not complying with Part 401. So there is no legal recourse, even without an exemption or anything else, uh, for parents who choose not to vaccinate their children in the state of Tennessee. So that is a win for Tennessee. It is, yes. I mean, there. But you need to understand if you live in Tennessee, whether your kids go to public schools or whether you're just a parent, your kid's staying at home, whatever, the state of Tennessee may not require your child to have a vaccine for COVID-19, period, end of story. So then the question is, if that is the case and if that is the law, Mm -hmm. why has Tennessee Stands written a letter to the governor? Because, as always, there's always a, a, a little a little thing. <laughs> there's always a but or a qualification, yeah. right? Yeah. And so while our laws currently uh, restrict the state from making a requirement or a mandate, it does not in any way that I can see uh, restrict the state from funding. In fact, since we've passed this law, uh, they've continued to fund vaccinations there was a, I believe it was stopped by some members of the legislature, not because of the law, but just because they didn't want it to be funded. But, uh, for example, a few months ago, whenever the shot from five, I think it was, what, five years, five to 16 years old or whatever it was, had and been, they, had and gotten. And they reduced it to. Yeah. Well, it's now six months. But at the time when they had initially reduced it to five The Tennessee Department of Health spent money and purchased a bunch of those vaccines to deliver to the public for those, not as a mandate, but for those who wanted Uh it, Tennessee was going to provide it. So, you know, again, Tennessee is still free to spend money and provide these vaccines for free. So here's, here's the problem. Here's what happens in Title 37. It says not only... Are the uh, CDC recommended guidelines added into our statute? But it says the parent or legal guardian is is encouraged to obtain the recommended immunizations for the first two years of the child's life. So so we're talking about children, by the way, under two years old. These are your infant babies, your your first, what, currently 72 doses of vaccine or whatever it is. It says it says such vaccines included without limitation. So the without limitation part is important because that's going to include the COVID vaccine. But it says the Department of Health in subsection B, the Department of Health is authorized to provide free vaccine through the first 24 months of life. So as long as your child is two years old or or under two years old Mm -hmm. and you're at a medical facility and you tell the medical facility you know, boy, I'd like to get that COVID shot for my kid, but I can't afford it. Um, they're going to give it to you at the cost of the state, the cost of the taxpayer. <clears throat> so um, you and I are paying to poison children. Correct. And the law actually says specifically that subsection closes with the statement, no immunization may be withheld due to a family's inability to pay the fee. Mm-hmm. So the state of Tennessee is covering the cost 
of these vaccines. And we wrote an open letter to the governor simply asking him, look, pending the CDC passing these new required guidelines, we're simply requesting that you issue an executive order immediately directing your executive departments in the Tennessee Department of Health and any other state agency that we are not going to fund any vaccinations for COVID-19 for children under two years old per these new guidelines. Not only are we not going to mandate it, which is already the law, we're not going to, as a, as a state and with taxpayer dollars, we are not going to fund these shots. Have you seen any evidence whether the governor or anyone in Tennessee government has shifted its position? Remember, a year ago, July of 2021, we've talked about it many times, the letter that was signed by a number of representatives, senators, and... Um, 16 senators. Yeah, telling us that the jab was safe and effective, which, by the way, did you see that meme? I love the meme that somebody put out a couple weeks ago that said, safe and effective is not a lie. It's two lies. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's just brilliant, isn't it? It is. It just gets across the Cause point. Because those, those are two completely different things, yeah. and, and both of them have been proven emphatically false. Have we seen any shift subtle or otherwise, from our Tennessee state government regarding the dangers in light of the fact that every day someone is dying, right? This, not, not counting the thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of vaccine injuries reported, but literally every day, it seems, in my inbox, I get 19-year-old football player, otherwise healthy, dies. You know, 22-year-old track star dies. 15-year-old girl just dies. Nine-year-old goes to a, a sleepover, comes home, her parents say goodnight, she doesn't wake up the next day. And no reference to this or, or mention of this by the government? Yeah. Not to my knowledge. You know, I, I'll say this. I, I haven't seen any shift in the messaging from the executive branch, especially from the governor's, from the governor's office. I, I will say one thing we did do here in Tennessee, this was last year, I believe, in the Government Operations Committee, which is, by the way, the, the GovOps Committee – of our legislatures, it is hands down the most conservative committee that we have. Senator Janice Bowling sits on that committee in the Senate, uh, Representative John Reagan. I mean, you've got some <clears throat> staunch conservatives there. And last year, the Tennessee Department of Health, uh, once the vaccines were made available to teens, they started marketing. They had all the graphics and all these flyers. They were, the, they were taking out ads they were marketing the vaccine right. to young people. Mm -hmm. And um, that was brought to the attention of the legislature. And uh, the GovOps committee at the time had Lisa Piercy appear before the committee. And uh, they ripped into her pretty good. And they put a stop to it. Um, yeah, I do remember that. They absolutely put a stop to it. Thought the Department of Health had no business marketing these vaccines to minors. So you know, our legislature has made some moves, you know, closer to our side of the argument mm -hmm. uh, that at the very least, we're not going to market this to young people, which I think is a big step. Uh, you mentioned, you know, the adverse effects. And I've actually, I, when I wrote the letter to the um, open letter to the governor, I, I linked to the reports currently in VAERS. And, mm -hmm. and I don't know if our listeners, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar, but you can go to open VAERS. And VAERS is V-A-E-R-S, but you can go to openvaers.com, and it's just a really great representation uh, because it's hard to find the VAERS <clears throat> system in the CDC, and so they're kind of right. doing the work for you. There are currently 2.3 million 
reported vaccine adverse effects. That's just reported. Yeah, reported. We already know that many are not reported, and the ones that are reported, there's a delay from when they're reported to when they actually make it onto the the list. And and listen to this. And I'm talking in VAERS currently, which is adverse events for all vaccines. Mm -hmm. So all the vaccines that are offered in the United States. There are 41,113 total reported deaths related to vaccines. Of the 41,000 in the VAERS system, in our national database, 31,470 of those deaths are attributed to the COVID vaccine. So so over 31,000 deaths in the VAERS system, which we know is already underreported, attributed specifically to just one One, vaccine, uh, the COVID, compared to 41 total, 41,000 total deaths of all vaccines. It's incredible. I've got to go back and look at the data, but when they, gosh, if it was bird flu, if it was SARS, the first one, they tried a vax at that time, and I think there were one or two deaths, less than 10, and they shut the whole thing down, right? Because at that time, at least ostensibly, someone was concerned about real effects. But to have 31,000 people die, reported, not only letting it continue, but to be advocating for it, right? And to be taking these steps to continue to protect the drug manufacturers from liability. It's full steam ahead, isn't it? Yeah. And, I, and you know, with this ask for, you know, so what we're asking for is for the governor to immediately, Governor Bill Lee, to immediately come out with an executive order that, that just says, look, we're, we're not going to fund these vaccines for babies for this COVID shot, uh, according to the new CDC guidelines. And I, I think part of asking the governor to make this executive order is, number one, to protect these babies, but, mm-hmm. no, but number two— I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm just saying it, Governor Bill Lee, not that you're listening, but if you just happen to be. <laughs> Somebody who works for him, I guarantee oh, is listening. listening. We're, we're asking for you, we're asking for some leadership here. We're, yeah. we're asking for this executive order because we are asking the leadership in our state to, in some way, put their foot down and communicate that we are not going to continue these lies this safe and effective mantra. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not going to continue this in the state of Tennessee, especially when it comes to our tax dollars or anything else related to the government. We're, we're looking for someone to put their foot down. And I think this is, this is a very small step forward to do that. But it would, it would, I think it would mean a lot to the citizens of the state. And if the governor needs a little encouragement, I would just say, always remember or always keep this in mind. What would Ron DeSantis do? <laughs> That's right. If you need to know what to do and what the people support, what would Ron DeSantis do? If he could build a bridge in three weeks, I promise you he could uh, <laughs> stop paying for vaccines for babies overnight. Well, and we already know his um, uh, Surgeon General mm. of state of Florida has been a leader on all of these issues, right? We're not going to offer it to, I believe they've even gone at a higher age, not just two and under, I think six and under. So they said they won't even they won't even allow it to be right. And in Florida, actually, if I remember correctly, whenever those vaccines had initially come out, 
for available down to ages five. And I said that that Tennessee had made that purchase to provide those vaccines mm-hmm. in the state. Florida was the only state in the country that refused to place an order. Right. So the Florida, the state of Florida's Department of Health, as when that vaccine was approved under EUA, mm-hmm. as a state refused to make that purchase and make it available through their state health department. So if you want your children to be free from that and you somehow feel that you're under pressure to take it or to jab your child, move to Florida. Or just make sure you understand that here in Tennessee, you can tell them hell no. Yeah. Again, call call Governor Lee's office. I think that's a great action point for the audience. So, Gary, since we skipped it last week, should we go into the China closet? Sure. I always say closet. China cabinet. Well, actually, we, we talked about that maybe everything that is coming out now is getting so big. So it's, there's Man, so much really stuff to is. fit into the cabinet now. We're, we're moving it into the closet. It is. And this story this week is actually, um, oh, I see it was written on my birthday, October 10th, 2022. So a couple weeks behind, but has to do with, uh, we're going to go into two different lanes here. It's, it's electronic vehicle manufacturing. Um, and what it, how it relates to China. Uh, this is an article from the Epic Times. Author is Jack Davis. Short, but I'm, I think I'm going to read most of it because it, it does a really good job of making the point for us. <clears throat> On one hand, the Biden administration extols electric vehicles and renewable energy as part of the dawn of a bright new sunny day. Of course, they have to because when it's not sun shining, you can't have any <laughs> solar power or solar energy. And, and and at nighttime, right, the, the 12 or 14 hours when the sun's not up, then you just have to sit around. Yeah, you got to have those toxic batteries that, that have already saved all of your sun energy. Yeah. <clears throat> right. But on the other, it admits that critical pieces of electric vehicles and solar panels are but part of a long, dark story of child labor, forced labor, and child exploitation citing cobalt mining in Africa and polysilicon production in China. We're drawing attention to critical supply chains in clean energy, highlighting China's use of forced labor in polysilicon production, which polysilicon is a key input in solar panels, and the use of child labor in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The report was released in September. So cobalt produced in the DRC has been on the list of products produced with child labor since 2009. So children in the Democratic Republic of Congo labor under harsh and dangerous conditions to mine cobalt ore. In 2020, the report noted that cobalt then went where? To China. And what did China do with the cobalt? They make batteries. And what do they do with the batteries? They sell them to America. So get that. Child labor in the DRC goes forth to produce or to extract cobalt, which goes to China to make batteries to send to the United States of America so that we can be producing clean energy. The Department of Labor, this is the United States Department of Labor. Are you saying it's our fault, Kevin? (laughs) Is that what you're saying? I'm connecting the dots. I'll let the listener come to the conclusions. The Department of Labor noted that 40,000 children, some as young as six years old, work in cobalt mines, often working in tight spaces underground without proper safety equipment or procedures. I'm claustrophobic when I hear about people going into mines, whether coal mines or anything other than like an open 
uh, excavation that's like an open pit. If you have to go down in mines, you ever watch those when you were in school or see the videos of people yeah. on oh, mines? Yeah. And the ceiling is like a oh, few yeah. inches above your head and the walls, not to mention what you're breathing, but I would be constantly at fear that um, it's going to all collapse on me. So imagine being a child whose parents have worked the mine and they're dead from inhaling whatever else is down there. The children just keep on being pushed down there. I've got no parents, but I'm going back to the mine today at six years old, right? Wow. It's, it's just, it's outrageous. <clears throat> but remember, these firms that are producing this, they're owned and operated and financed by China. So in the process of refining this cobalt prior to export, Cobalt from multiple sources is mixed together. When this happens, cobalt produced with child labor becomes impossible to distinguish the cobalt mined without child labor. So the interesting part about this is that it's presented a little bit of a conflict within the Biden administration because on the one hand, they're pushing electric vehicles, they're pushing batteries, but on the other hand, their own Department of Labor is acknowledging that, well, we're using child labor mm. to accomplish this. So take that as a kind of a positive coming out I love to see um, our enemy, our political enemies and otherwise, come into great confusion, right? Yeah. You think of the this, this scriptural stories where God puts the enemy into confusion, whether it was Jehoshaphat is, is one of my favorite from Second Chronicles 20, where the people go out praising God because the battle belongs to the Lord. And what does God do? God causes the enemies to be confused and actually to destroy mm -hmm. one another. Um, and as Christians, that should be part of our prayer process that, among all of the other things, we remember that, A, the battle belongs to God, and B, wherever there is confusion among the enemy, you can also think of um, Tower of Babel, that's a good thing for freedom and for us. So there's your China cabinet, maybe perhaps China closet story today. Batteries, bad news um, in how they are created, and uh, not so clean, maybe. Maybe your clean vehicle may appear to be clean, but morally it's not clean. And it's incredible to think all of the, um, you know, some of the things that we do as Americans every day, like use batteries, you know, and we just don't think about the global implications of what we're causing. What and So I, I just, as we've been learning about, I don't know why COVID has brought all this <clears throat> stuff out, but for me, it's like these last two years have brought up not just what's been going on in our schools. People are paying more attention to government mandates and, and whether or not government has too much power and all these things. But I think it's it's also brought out, you know, what, the just the nature of the cabal. And we've been researching yeah. all of those who really are at the top of all of these large corporations and how everything is so interconnected and the uh, people across the world that are paying the price for this massive global enterprise that mm -hmm. has been built. And it, it's quite incredible. I, I I just think these last two years, it's been like a fire hose on so many issues that's been exposed. Yeah, the, the exposure, I've recently come to that encouragement. You know, starting in 2020, it was, it was really bad because we recognized what was at stake more than we ever had, right? We knew that these things were the tendencies of governments and people in power. <clears throat> but the encouragement that we must draw is that now we know, right? It wasn't as if Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum just started their work in 2020, right? Mm -hmm. This has been going on for decades. But the amount of people all over the world now who know who Klaus Schwab is and who understand the controls 
that the World Economic Forum has, what their aims are, how they're connected with the Chinese Communist Party, right? These things were all in operation. They were all moving down the track. And I bet you, I bet you it is disheartening and discouraging to them that now they're exposed. In fact, the reason they're fighting us so hard and coming down um, with draconian measures is because they know the light has now been shined on them. Yep. They've been able to participate and proceed in the darkness for 30, 40 years, 100 years in some respects. And now all of a sudden, what? It's like a criminal breaks into your house, right? If the criminal can break in quietly and steal your goods and leave, then he'll do it. But if you catch him and shine a light on him, that's when he pulls out his artillery and you know shoots and destroys <laughs> right. you. And So I, I think that's what's happening. So we must take encouragement from that, that the battle that we're in, I think, is the beginning of the end for the other side. That's really good. That is a good bit of encouragement, which leads me to, I wanted to to discuss one final thought before we bring it to a close. I, this week, I uh, had the fortune of going out and speak to a group uh, in Jackson, Tennessee, which was uh, great. And, you know, Jackson, if you don't know, was, of course, it's not unique. We're, we're facing this in every city now across the state of, of Tennessee. We've got these uh, drag queen events now happening oh, yeah. in, in public parks and everywhere, and people are in an uproar, and, and some are getting shut down, some are not. Well, this 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 story is a great story because in, in Jackson, Tennessee, the people really came together and uh, and got this event shut down. It, it wasn't shut down, it but it was— It was moved to a— Well, it was supposed to take place in a public park and all ages welcome and family-friendly. What they were successful in doing is they got it moved to a room in the civic center where only adults were allowed. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's a, it's a win. Let's yeah. just call that a win. It's a big deal, you know. And uh, but it it took a lot of doing. And one of the ways they did it was not only by getting Representative Chris Todd, their local state representative, involved, which was amazing through all of this, and actually brought action in Madison County Chancery Court to get it shut mm. down. I mean, he took it all the way. Right. But it wasn't only actions of of elected leaders. It was pastors, and it was church. So there were—I can't remember all their names, but there were two or three prominent pastors that really stood up and just decided, we're not going to put up with this anymore in the city of Jackson. And so when I went to speak at this event, one of the pastors was there. His name is uh, Pastor Gary Martin. He pastors First Assembly of God in Jackson, and he— he opened up about the first 15 minutes of the event and just talked about what had happened in the community and um, how the people came together and their engagement on getting this done. But he said something that struck me. He said, you know, and, and I, I would love to have him on the show. And actually, mm-hmm. I, I would love to to go out there and with a camera and like really just sit down with him in his church and capture his story. Mm-hmm. Because what he said really grabbed me. And he said it, he just, I could tell that he really meant what he was saying. He's very, he was very genuine. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, I got to admit, this incident really as a pastor kicked me in the butt. We've not been paying attention. We've been sitting in our churches. We've been doing our own thing. And we've not been paying attention to what's going on in our culture and how it's impacting our children. He said, I will tell you, this event has made me realize that it's way past time for the church to speak up on these issues. 
And he says this, for me and my church, we're in this now, and I'm not stopping. Excellent. And I was like, that's, man, come on. Yep. That's, it's, <clears throat> we've said it often that we wouldn't be in this place had the church led from the start, yeah. right? They, had, they have the moral authority. They haven't exercised it. But I am encouraged when churches come to the table and realize, oh, we have been turning a blind eye to it. We haven't been paying attention to it. We've been trusting the politicians to take care of that. And then they realize that, no, it's not going to get done unless we show up. So that would be great to have. What's his name again? His name is Pastor Gary Martin, Jackson, Tennessee. I think it'd be great if he could join us here. In addition to you, you know, getting video yep. and, and having that. It'd be great to have him on. Because his story is relatable to so much of our audience. There's a, there's a number of people in our audience, as you know, and we've, they've told us, who feel like perhaps they've just come to this um, well, like John, right? John was our TC Mitts. I've had that comment a lot. People say, I don't know how to get involved. I don't understand the process, but I've become engaged in the last couple of years. And then they proceed. I, I think it would be fantastic to have him, um, if he's listening, Yeah, he's got an open invitation, we can arrange it. And anyone like that, because kind of tell the people's story. And by the way, I realized whenever I transitioned to that story, I missed an opportunity to say Mike Boozer wears glasses. Oh, that's right. Forgot that. <laughs> I'm so glad you remembered that. <clears throat> so. And I forgot to do it before we went into the China cabinet. There so we go. we'll remember that. Well, until next week, looks like we're good on time here. Mr. Producer, thank you for that giant clock, which I love, especially with my bad eyes. Yeah, the clock is super helpful. And uh, we'll see you next week. By the way, thank you for that goal horn last week because Penguins won their first two games dominantly. They lost their Kev third. Kevin is, is sporting the jersey I'm in the sport, studio. I'm sporting my Penguin sweatshirt because they're playing another game tonight. <laughs> See you next week. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. As Thomas Paine reminded us, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting it. <laughs>